Welcome to Oral Fixation, where every episode we share our thoughts on an album by a queer hero. This episode, we're chatting about Keyboard Fantasies by Beverly Glenn Copeland. The album was self-released on Atlas Records in 1986 and reissued by Invisible City Editions and Seance Center in 2017. Please note that any audio samples featured are used for the purposes of review and critique. We're still recording remotely, so do forgive any discrepancies in recording quality. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Oral Fixation wherever you find your podcasts and we hope that you enjoy listening. So if you're just tuning into the podcast now, we're actually talking about um, uh, daily yoga practitioners. Yes. And, uh, yeah. 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 Shanti, 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 sort of. So Andy, you're, you're still, let's, oh, no, go on. on. I've, I've just got a, um, a timely question for you. Um, so we're recording this, um, not to timestamp things too much, but our Pet Shop Boys episode just went out today. Um, mm. And Drew, so we have different kind of areas of expertise within the, the podcast. And Drew is that playlist bitch. So if you've ever listened to an incredible companion playlist for all fixation, it's got Drew's filthy vegan fingers all over it um and <laughs> vegan by proxy thank you vegan by prox um <laughs> vbp um and so today um and they're also just a hoot to listen to because we obviously both have incredible music taste um and so the pet shop boys one opens with shanti ashtangi by the iconic yes. queen of pop from her iconic yes. best album but you're getting abstract doll because i think you literally just said the word shanty in that episode and you just like <laughs> drop in like they're actually quite abstract there, there are easter eggs in the there are easter eggs in the playlist for sure yeah um there's hidden meaning just like with most of our favorite queer music there's we always layers. there's layers to it yes. there's sort of nooks and Fabulous unexplored crannies um, for our listeners. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of that episode, quickly, yeah. just quickly speaking of that episode, I do have to make a formal um, apology oh, yeah, go on. Um, yeah. to the ears of our listeners. Um, we're still navigating uh, this new normal. Let's just say, take a shot every time anyone says that. But um, last week I recorded in my bedroom. Uh, and turns out that it maybe was not conducive, okay, <laughs> to a um, high-quality recording scenario. So what I've done today, we're trying different things out. So today I'm in the spare room, uh, surrounded by soft furnishings. There might be, I'm, I'm a bit conscious of the fact that the spare room backs onto the street where there's often a bit of debauchery. So if you hear a random scream, mm. then... A polls in advance, but hopefully this um, this will be a little less sort of muffled and um, sort of. Well, all I'll say is I ho- just hope it's socially distanced debauchery. Otherwise, I have zero issue with it. Um, I think I just heard like a plane in the last one, and um, I was like, "Why are there planes flying in Australia at the mo?" I'm sure it's frontline emergency staff. That's got to be that. Got to be yeah, frontline be emergency that. staff. Now, we, 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 I don't think we have discussed an artist quite like the one that we are discussing at all on this podcast, largely in part 
to just how this artist is completely unique from pretty much any other artist out there. But I, um, it, if, if we sit this artist alongside who else we've talked about, we, we really, we're not breaking, we're not pushing boundaries by talking about this artist, but I just can't still, after the research and the listening and the talking that we've done about this artist, I can't fathom that he exists and that his story exists. Yeah, well, the only um, story I found similar in the sort of rediscovery of his back catalogue um, quite far after the fact. Did you ever watch that um, documentary, Searching for Sugar Man? No, what was it about? It's about this guy, I can't remember his name, but he had this song called Sugar Man. Um, really, really long story short. Sugar Man, 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 man. <laughs> Sugar Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like mm, sugar man anyway really long story short and i might be getting some of the facts wrong but um he was huge oh no okay he, he made this one album and for some reason it went completely gangbusters but in south africa and only in south africa and then um and then um because of the record company were trying to screw him over or something so they um didn't tell him that it was successful in south africa and told and made up this lie that he died and so then right. this became it became this kind of like um really beloved album with this like um fable not fable but like folklore behind it in south africa anyway fast forward 20 something years and someone gets in touch with the guy and is like um you know you're randomly really really huge in south africa and he's like sorry what he's just this guy who's literally busking the streets and then everyone in south africa's like and i yeah, and then everyone... That's the second time she's come up. Um, then everyone in South Africa finds out that he's alive and they're like, sorry, what? And then he goes over to South Africa and, like, um, does this concert. Anyway, that's kind of a bit different. But um, Beverly Glenn Copeland, who we're discussing today, is 75 years old. And right. it's only been in the last couple of years that his music has been, I guess, consumed and appreciated on a more widespread and mainstream kind of platform. Yes. Is that correct? I don't think it would be patronising to our listeners to assume that most people still haven't don't heard Don't know. Of him. Yeah, um, I, 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 I agree. I'm trying to rack the archives of my frazzled brain to work out when I first came across him. And I can't pinpoint... There was a moment where I remember getting very excited talking to you about him on WhatsApp. And you... Me and you both loved the song. Um, I've completely the color of back. anyhow. Color, the color of anyhow, anyhow, because we it was on the soundtrack to the Tales of the City reboot. Tales of the City coming soon to whatever TV edition of uh, book edition of oral fixation we can shoehorn in. Um, so mm. that that oral show, fiction. oral fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon alongside Oral Food Station. Yeah, Oral um, Food Station, look out. Now, um, the merits of that TV show aside, the, the soundtrack was phenomenal, and me and Drew mm. both really loved that particular song. But I, 
had sworn I didn't know him beforehand. I, I didn't right. know him beforehand. Now maybe, that was the so first maybe time it was I'd that soundtrack which um, opened my eyes to him, but also separately, my friend uh, David back in the UK from Bristol, shout out to David from Bristol. I've mentioned him a few times. We swap playlists with each other every couple of months and he sent me a playlist with Colour of Anyhow on it as well. Um, oh. Now I think so through Colour of Anyhow, we discovered the album which we're discussing today, which is very different in style. Which is part well, of the story. All of, in in doing our in doing my sort of deep dive, and I don't think I've ever done such a deep dive for um for the podcast. Peter in going be the through, judge of that. <laughs> is walking like John Wayne this week. <laughs> um, in going through the the back catalogue of this artist, there is you say that obviously keyboard fantasies is a bit different to colour of anyhow, but all of his music is just so vastly different it kind yes. of transcends from like opera to tribal to folk to kind of jazz to then more kind of trip hoppy stuff more recently yes. and then this album is this very kind of like sweet pastoral kind of trinkly i don't know how would you describe it like sort of new age kind of ah uh, completely music um i don't quite know where to start with this story so the other day me and you both listened to um, a lecture that Beverly Glenn Copeland, who I believe, as of now, goes by the name of Glenn Copeland. Um, That's what I um, understood as well. But the artist's name you will find still listed on your Spotify's, on the internet, on his website, is Beverly Glenn Copeland. And I, I'm assuming that's because... Well, if you don't know by now, Beverly Glenn Copeland is a transgendered man um, and spent, well, I don't, I don't know when he transitioned, but uh, put out, I think, two or three albums as a woman. So I'm assuming that Beverly Glenn Copeland was his name as a woman and so has retained that artist's name, but goes by now as Glenn Copeland. Look, you know, whatever, just get, just get out of the way. Um, now, where where am I going with this? That particular album that you just mentioned that we're talking about today, Keyboard Fantasies, is, like Drew said, a new agey, twinkly, very um, synthesized, mm-hmm. which is what's right up our street. Um, it's, it's Epcot, Sun, Moon and Rising. It's, it's early to mid 80s, that first exploration of synthesized music and creating soundscapes through, at the time, which would have been outrageously expensive computers. The fact that me and you are both sat here recording on a free program that we got with our laptops um, that would have cost, you know, thousands back then. Um, But this album is particularly special because it was not discovered for 30 years after it was made. Mm. And this is the album that, that, that kind of was the catalyst for the discovery or rediscovery of... Glenn Copeland. Correct. So when I remember getting myself into a tizzy telling you how obsessed I am with the story of this artist, and if I, if I write it down on paper why this person is so fascinating, um, a transgender person of colour, an American living in Canada who effectively is a hermit living in the woods with his wife because he only, he only likes computers and trees. Hans, fair enough. Um has a body of work which straddles a variety of genres um, right up until I think his last album came out, 2004, but was not discovered until about 2015. Um, 
a practicing Buddhist who meditates every single day and has done for the last 50 years, um, who who is so musically talented from vocals to the knowledge of all the genres that Drew mentioned earlier. Um, queer excellence. And it's, it's going back to that... Um that lecture that you mentioned that Red Bull will link it in the the description for the episode but that lecture was so fascinating because he spoke so eloquently about um how he was basically kind of almost forced by his mother to become a musician in utero like she'd yes. play music to to her stomach um like four or five hours a day to sort of make sure that music was part of this child's DNA. And then from a very young age, um, Glenn Copeland would listen to a lot of, I believe, classical music because his dad was like a classical pianist and played yes. loads of it in the house. But then by the time that, um, by the time he got to like, I don't know, teenage, he started exploring other different types of music because he was almost kind of done with that stuff and it just the the overwhelming sense i've got from listening to his music is that it's all one big lovely experiment that is a play on genre it kind of right. it doesn't discriminate against any kind of like everything's up for grabs whether it's like african drums to opera as i said before to playing around with synthesizers on the computer like it's all kind of everything's uh that, that there's there's nothing that's not um available to sort of be tapped into mm. and um i've just it's been I, I have to be honest some of it is maybe not my cup of tea um yeah. i listened to after you um recommended um that i listened to the um i think it's maybe self-titled um right. his album that's called beverly glenn copeland which I think came out in the before Keyboard Fantasies, mm -hmm. um, which is where The Color of Anyhow is from. Mm -hmm. I started that album thinking, oh, this is going to be all lovely sort of folky music. And then it gets actually quite kind of like erratic and confronting, um, which mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, it's been such a pleasure to go mm -hmm. through <clears throat> and listen to um, the music of an artist that... Uh, you can tell it's just having so much fun. I don't want to say playing around with the genre because that kind of almost reduces it a bit, but maybe, yeah, experimenting with all of these different types of making sounds. Mm. It's just mm. so, so cool. Um, I think we'll mention the lecture a few times in this episode because, it, well, aside from being like the crux of most of our knowledge about the artist, I think that, uh, that podcast in particular is um, perhaps the most influential in his reach. I don't know too much about the Red Bull Music Academy, but I think that I saw today that that podcast is constantly referenced as how many people have discovered Beverly Glenn Copeland. And I think what an amazing right. way to discover. Um, and then just the other thing I wanted to say about listening to music in utero, I actually went to a Billy Joel concert in utero. Oh, yeah. I think you've mentioned that before. Um, mm, I don't know. Something man. tells me. Something tells me. My mum. My mum played a lot of Enya. I just feel like she did. Right. I don't know if that's yeah. true. Um, Could be good to get her on for an Enya episode. <laughs> we should. <laughs> um, speaking of podcasts, um, I actually listened to another podcast in preparation for this, which I'd also highly recommend, which was um, from. 
Talk House, um, and okay. it's an interview with um, Dev Hines from Blood Orange yes. um, interviewing um, Beverly Glenn Copeland. Did you did you listen I to that? I haven't heard it. No. Shout it's out to Blood Orange, though. Deep producer, deep. Stan of the pod. Yeah. Um, it's so fascinating because it's basically these two queer men of colour that are separated by, I, I imagine, at least 45 years, talking about their um, their process and their kind of, um, their outlook on creating music. And it's just such a treat because they both just stan each other so hard as well. Mm. Like, um, they, they the, the chat happens just after... Um, uh, one of Glenn Copeland's gigs and Dev's just like... Oh, he'd been buzzing. Um, yeah, he's just like, oh my God, I can't believe how great that was. And um, then Glenn's like, oh no, but like, I can't believe I'm talking to you because I don't really listen to much music, but my manager told me to listen to you and I'm just obsessed <laughs> with you. Um, so it's really, really sweet to listen to. But one of the things that I found really interesting and, and something that we'll probably talk about quite a lot on this podcast is um, Glenn Copeland's relationship to nature. And as you mentioned before, yes. he's kind of... Um, sequestered his, himself from um, the, the city uh, yes. quite, quite a lot throughout on. his life. Yeah. Um, and yeah. lived this kind of, um, not necessarily solitary, because as you mentioned, he lives with his wife, but sort of relatively solitary um, life out in the kind of middle of nowhere. And that's where he makes his um, his best music. And then Dev yeah. from Blood Orange, not from, from Blood Orange, Dev who is Blood Orange, um, says... I kind of feel like I am the difference between you and I is that I am a city, like the city is within me and I kind of, I, I always gravitate towards cities, but then like the, the idea of returning to nature is this thing that I, that, that, um, really appeals to me and it's something that I'm kind of, it, it, it's always kind of like calling out to me in my mind. And I kind of, it really struck me cause I feel like as a queer person, that's the same like I I kind of often crave this simpler country life you're kind of living it right now Andy and I'm like super kind of envious but as queer people we're almost kind of it's it's we're not forced to find the city but the city is where most of our kind of chosen family are likely to live just because by the laws of probability, there'll probably be more of them yeah, and there'll be spaces exactly. where we can feel more comfortable and um, opp- more opportunities for us to kind of thrive. But really that kind of like simple country life is, is so appealing as well. And, and I'm loving the direction this is taking. I didn't expect it to go down this path, but it makes complete sense now. This links quite neatly back to the chat we had with the Pet Shop Boys in the song about going back to the town that you've ran away from. And we we t- you, you went into it about your hometown, but just the concept of queer people all over the world um, leaving smaller towns to go to larger cities, just like you said, because of nature of probability, there are more queer people there and through kind of like a catch-22 the more people that gravitate to the city mean that there's just more and more queer people in the city however um i don't know when the shift particularly was well for, you, you'll have always had people who regardless of what life was like for them but then some people just preferred living in towns anyway but um ha- I'm I'm in a relationship with um, someone who has always lived rurally, pretty much. And he spoke to me quite early in our relationship about um, 
he loves his life living rurally. It's it's a, it's a true lifestyle. He's he he was raised in rural areas, and he had he has lived in cities, and he loves them too. But um, the the pros and benefits of living rurally are so um, huge that. Um, now I think we're lucky enough to live in a society where you can live rurally and still, to a degree, be yourself and to still meet people like you, especially with things like the internet um, and just people generally being more open and honest. There was a really interesting stat that I read a couple of weeks ago on Instagram that um, in, I think it was in the UK, in rural parts of the UK, the highest search term is gay dating. Really? Yeah, which speaks to a few things. I think it speaks to um, higher numbers of closeted people in rural areas, but it also speaks to the fact that they're there. People are there. They are Mm. there. And and they are thirsty. They are thirsty for um, farmer wants a wife. Yeah, a little Um, something, something with certain New Jersey gentlemen. So it's interesting what you mentioned about Dev Hines. I think, or me and you both know someone who who I won't name, but is... A, um, a queer artist who kind of, mm, I don't know where to go with this, made it clear to me in various conversations that he almost has an aversion or a fear to life outside of the city because mm. the city is all he's ever known for whatever reason. And I think it's a very interesting concept. And I say this as someone who grew up in neither a city or rurally. I grew up in like a kind of mid-sized town. Um, it's just a very interesting concept, and um, I certainly see my the direction of my life taking. Uh, there's a much higher probability of me living rurally than in the city, and I think that's go. in large part because of the um, the amenities that we have, like connectivity and the internet, and staying in touch with people all over the shop. But um, this was not the case in 1986 when Glenn Copeland was making keyboard fantasies. Well, even earlier when um, Glenn Copeland moved from, is it Philadelphia? So he was born in Philadelphia. Yeah. I think he was born in Philly and then moved to Canada with his family when he was really young. Well, I thought that he moved to Canada for university, to McGill. Oh, okay. So I I could be wrong or we both could be right. So we moved to, to go to university in McGill and then he just made it his mission to stay in Canada. And I don't know why as a younger person he chose Canada over the US but I did read an interview a couple of hours ago with him where he said right now the way that the um the treatment of transgender people by the American government is such that I think it was under the context of touring he was like I'm I'm a dual citizen of both Canada and the US but even when I cross the border it's the look of the draw as to what border agent I have my pass- passport checked by as to how easy the process is of going home. Right. And that was like a slap in the face reading. That's just like, of, of course yeah. it is. If you've got a female listed passport, but you are male presenting and for as long as you've lived, you identify as a male. Just You just don't need that bollocks when you're just trying to cross borders. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just... Amen. Yeah. Anyway, um, something deeply interesting that I did not mention earlier and that we haven't mentioned thus far is Beverly Glenn Copeland's involvement in the children's TV industry. I love this so much. Go on then, Andy. Well, um, I think the story goes that he was out of uni and looking for work. I think he'd 
I think he maybe already had an album under his belt at this stage. So the first album that Drew mentioned earlier is uh, um, the self-titled one, which I think I, I get it. I hear you. I hear you, Drew. That when you say that bits of it are not as accessible, but um, to me, it's kind of in the vein of like Joni Mitchell, like Joan Baez. Um, at the time, Beverly Glenn Copeland was. Uh, wow identifying as a black lesbian um so a gay woman in canada um living her acoustic fantasies and the album is very much that and a beautiful gorgeous voice um then somehow i think found work through a friend who worked for what was the tv show it wasn't like sesame street it was a canadian tv show that i haven't heard of yeah it was called something like mr dress up right okay which, shout out to our Canadian listeners. Maybe you could write in and tell us more about that. I know you're out there. There's about eight of you. So, come on. doesn't take much to send an email. Um, now, why I think this is important is because in the album that we're discussing, um, me and Drew have this um, niche adoration for a particular brand of music that we've termed Epcot, in reference to the retro-futuristic theme park that Disney built in 1982. Shout out to me, who used to work there. Um, but <laughs> Shout out to me, who's never been there. <laughs> but you get it. You yeah, get I it. get it. I do get it, and I don't know why Unlike I get it. Unlike Sue Lawley, you get it. I Yeah. Um, um, but I just, I know exactly the type of, because it's not, it's not like panpipe music, but it's kind of like, it's the fusion of um, digital, the natural and the digital coming together Correct. in something that feels so kind of calming and yes. um, and comforting. And I don't know why I get it, but I just, I get it. It's, it's um, a musical vision of the future as told through the early 80s with that and kind of And it's almost as optimism. if the future... In the future, like, the the digital artefacts that we have created still exist, but the Earth has, like, reclaimed itself, and everything's a bit, like, simpler. Right. And I don't know. Carry yeah. on. You, you go. Yeah. I, no, I'm, yeah. I'm living... And it, it's, it's an interesting genre. There's actually... There's a lot of people out there who get it and stand, because there's some incredible Spotify playlists that I think we could list, that we could link to. But in particular, the artist CFCF, who you introduced uh, me to. Um, CFCF is basically like a modern-day Beverly Glen Copeland. Um, also a Canadian artist, and I suspect possibly queer, but can't confirm. Again, really not very famous at all, but um, quite prolific in just creating these beautiful soundscapes um, that are perfect for like, it's, it's, it's not demeaning to say that they're beautiful to like work to, like they're, they're my go-to work soundtrack. Like I was saying to you today, like the, the, the highlight of my day today, it's raining in Sydney. I went for a run at lunchtime in the pouring rain, didn't take my phone with me obviously because it would have got wet, but just ran in the rain came home, like, ran a hot shower and just listened to Keyboard Fantasies and just let mm. the, the sounds and the hot water just, like, run over me. And the... It, it was... I felt high. It was so, mm. like, mm. beautiful and just mm. kind of... Yeah, it was glorious. 
Anyway, now, uh, we're, we're, we're kind well, of distracting from the children's TV stuff. Well, no, no, no. So the reason... So I'm just finally closing that loop there. So the loop back to the children's TV is that everything we've already said about this album so far and this musical genre, there's this beautiful, childlike, um, like, reverence for nature which goes through this album. So Mm. um, beginning with Ever New, which is kind of um, his signature song at this moment, if he was to have one apart from The Colour of Anyhow. Um, It's the one that's spoken time over time again, the one that grabs people and is just like, where the fuck did this come from and how has no one listened to this since 1986? Ever New is, I think, the standout of the album for me. Um, Mm. But um, the second one is Winter Astral, Let Us Dance, Slow Dance Now, I believe... These songs are very easy to probably parody. Like the, the songs, the genre that me and Drew love is also kind of the soundtrack that you'd be listening to in a garden nursery when you're being taken through it on a Sunday afternoon by your parents who are looking for a new plant pot. It's that kind of music spout M-U-Z-I-K, that kind of saxophone in an elevator rising but with and so sort of much more depth waiting for your massage at a spa moon very that um, um, or those little fake waterfalls that you can plug in and they yes. just recycle the water oh over my god and yes over. with like the um like a weird rotating orb at the top and the right, water makes that. the what makes the orb rotate what is that <laughs> i love it I love we it. We stan. We stan it. Um, and Keyboard Fantasies is probably the artistic pinnacle of this. Yeah. And there's a reason... Well, we'll get back... Actually, let's... You close your loop, but there's a reason that this got rediscovered now, I think. But we'll come back to that I thought. think you're right. I think you're right. And the loop is closed with... Um, you, could, you will listen to this album, and it will not surprise you that this artist... Uh, worked making children's TV music for 30 years, um, specifically in an educational format because it takes a childlike naivety through this, like, wise, knowledgeable... I don't know. I just listen to it and I'm like, it doesn't surprise me that... There's there's a really beautiful... I think naivety is a really... um, lovely way to describe it like there's just a really beautiful simplicity to it all um that kind of sees it's like viewing the world through this lens of um yeah like just through a really kind of like simple beautiful lens a childlike lens that um that is full of joy and color and um the elements and yes yeah yes and it's beautiful. So, look, I, I'm fully aware. I don't know if this album is going to be everyone's cup of tea in terms of the listeners to this. Um, this I'd be episode, interested. But... Like, let us take take a, it's a, look. It's only six songs. They they vary in length between I think probably about seven to ten minutes. So it's still the, the length of a regular album. But yeah, have a listen and let us know what you think. Because maybe maybe this like Andy and I kind of covering this album might be a little kind of. Um, Maybe this field. is the episode where you listen to the album first. I mean, I know we're 36 minutes in or something, but... <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we but put that have in the disclaimer. Listen. I don't know. 100%. Worth, yeah. Because maybe it's just something that you and I share, but it does feel like there are like... I mean, other than the fact that this artist is a trans man, there are. I think there are threads of queerness running through 
um, the, the music that he creates. And that kind of maybe harks back, maybe I'll make my point now, um, that there's a reason, there is some reason that this music was discovered now. I don't know whether that's because we're, we are, or y- younger generations, even like sort of, I'd say millennials and Gen Z, we kind of, um, we've pulled back the, we've, we've drawn back the, like we've, we're the Scooby, we're Scooby-Doo and his um, crew pulling the mask off the villain and realizing that we've inherited this earth that is falling mm-hmm. apart. And so we're, we're seeking out simplicity and beauty and kind of um, the, the, the simple things in life. And then you have an album like this, which is just emanating that as we've discussed, and it's just really struck a chord. I feel like that might be one of the reasons why this is had this resurgence. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I completely agree. And I think he speaks very eloquently about that in the, the lecture about, I mean, first of all, it completely baffles me as someone who is constantly trying to work out what my purpose is, what my career should be, what I'm here to do, what, what is the thing I should be spending my time and, and effort on, uh, to hear from someone at the age of 75 say, I was told at a very young age that I would not be recognised for what I've done until I'm old. And then he goes on to make a joke about how that's how he knows how he's old now. But to be so at peace with spending the vast majority of your life without recognition for your work. And then let's say in the very last season, you know, 75 is, you could still live for another good 20 years, but you're you're cutting it. You're in, you're in, you're in winter. You're in the winter of your life to then have this global recognition um, would be not only deeply satisfying, but um, how did he make it through all those years? Like, what did he do? Did he just like get a job in a supermarket and like just then go home every day and just twiddle with his synthesizers and walk around in the trees? Like, what was he doing? Like, if you look on um, his, his discography, he was making maybe one album every 15 years. And he talks, this ties back to what you said about he effectively just didn't give a shit. He wasn't making for anyone but himself. Um, there were no commercial pressures probably because he well at the time maybe knew that he would never be successful and was at peace with that and maybe that is what led to the quality of his work just not feeling any of those commercial pressures and just doing exactly what the fuck he wanted to do um i don't know how realistic an option that is for most performers and artists in this day and age um but it's 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 remarkable and it's and it's inspiring well, maybe it'll, it, I, I wonder if it'll become, I think it's probably more prevalent now than it was in the past because so many people, so many, um, there, there are more ways to get your music out there than just getting a record deal like YouTube and Instagram and all these other things exist so that you can basically self-publish your work and then, um, get it, um, get it out to people in in that way. Um, But also I don't ever think that the intention from Glenn Copeland was any kind of financial success or like fame. I think he just wanted to make art and put it out there and for for no one else but himself, like to, to say, this is my kind of, this is my thing and I love it. And only now, I think now that it's been um, kind of, unearthed 
he's like, yeah, great. But it's, it doesn't change the fact that the, the motives I had behind it were always what they were. And it's great that it's, it's, you know, resonated now, but if it, if it never had, then I I wouldn't have minded kind of thing. Um, No. And he makes it very clear that he doesn't revere his own work either. He says it's very, very odd for him to be talking about an album that he made in 1986. um, When, well, what, does anyone know about what they were doing 30 years ago? 30 years ago, I was, I was a sperm, you know? That's hot. That's hot. Yeah. Um, shout out to <laughs> and Steve. And an egg. And an egg. Um, but like, There's no, imagine... There's no female erasure here, hun. No female erasure here. And speaking of, it's, it's um, one of her tropes, which I will always stand, is that Madonna constantly crops oh, on about... God, who had 36 minutes? <laughs> the artist furthest from madonna on our fixation i will yeah right and we still found a way go on how does she how does she correlate how she loathes her back catalogue well she can't stand talking about songs that she did 30 years ago and i would always be really frustrated with that because i'd be like no just do an oldie but i just cannot grasp the concept of whatever you know he, he makes it very clear that it's it's quite amusing to him that people are effectively standing a piece of work he did 30 years ago. And he's like, I actually don't really, I don't know what I was talking about. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't ask me about the lyrics because I don't know. He says that in a very <laughs> a more sophisticated, you know, Canadian lilt. But I do stand kind of like, we're always like, what did you mean by that, Glenn? Like, what yeah. did that mean? He was like, I was cooked 30 years ago in the woods. Can you just, can you not? Just I was cooked it. in the woods. Um, going back to um, what he Madonna. said about, <laughs> going back to Madonna and the fact that she loathes her back catalogue and hydrangeas. Um, no, going back to what um, he said about um, the fact that he was told from a young age that he was only going to become successful when he was older. There's something else that he um, that uh, he says in that lecture, which is so, it just, I actually kind of almost nearly started crying. Um, because the lecture, as you've said, Andy, is at the Red Bull Academy. Um, and I think from what I can understand, the attendees are all music students or certainly have some Correct. kind of vested interest in, yep. in music. Um, and Side he note, says... just a really oh. fucking good podcast anyway. And there's also an amazing Robin episode. Um, oh, really? Many anyway, yeah, this is really yeah, cool this, I'm going to check out. Um, perfect for ISO. Sorry, carry on. No, well, what I was going to say is that I got a bit um, overwhelmed with emotion when he was saying that he was told um, that he was only going to sort of achieve success or sort of um, enjoy success in his older years. And he says, now I now I know what my purpose in life is. And it's it's to meet you people because you guys, your generation are going to be the ones that save us. There you go. Um, It's just, and he goes on to talk about the fact that his generation sort of, and the generations before him um, were so kind of like shell-shocked by World War II that that they were just kind of shook at being able to like have things. So it was just like consume, consume, buy, buy. I've got this stuff because it shows like that I'm kind of safe in the world. And now we've, as I said before, we've kind of realized that actually none of that stuff matters and we're all uh, on fire. Um, and mm. now it's like finally this kind of um, this, he, he just spoke about how, how much hope he saw in, um, mm. in the kind of, I guess I'd say Gen Z. Um, 
but it was so kind of inspiring because it almost felt as if he was this kind of like, I don't know, um, like a man coming from the future to tell us like, okay, you've, you've got to, you've got to save the world. Yes. Yeah. I get that. I understand what you're saying. Um, do you think there's something in when you say that this was the time that the music was meant to be heard and all of that kind of, let's just look a bit logically at the difference in music consumption to then to now, even as me and you were growing up and going to buy CDs in a shop, you were taking a punt by spending money um, whether it was your pocket money or you're in a full-time wage on an album by an artist that you'd never heard of because not only did they cost more so my dad has cds from the 90s which in the 90s cost something like 15 pounds now that would be astronomical for a for a cd now let alone in the 90s and of course that's how we know you know the record the music industry had so much money then um but 15 pounds is a lot to take a gamble on an artist you know nothing about now we live in an age where through very intelligent algorithms on your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's. Um, we only need to give them a glimpse of our music taste and we will be given very intelligent, um, astute recommendations. And I will sing the praises. I know it's deeply flawed, but I will sing the praises of these streaming services till the cows come home as a music obsessive because I have discovered so many incredible artists and songs and albums through something as cold as scientific as an algorithm, which I would not have had the opportunity to do if I, unless I was spending basically my entire wage at a record store. On top of that, we now live, um, if you're a music listener, in a heavy playlist-dominated culture. So statistically, we listen to less albums in full and we listen to playlists. And we started this episode talking about the playlists that we make. And me and Drew are just prolific playlist makers anyway. And we share them and we create them. I mean, Drew has like 18,000 Desert Island Discs playlists. Talk to him about that. <laughs> um, That's um, one for the but, Patreon. But playlists are also, you know, generally dominated by like a mood or a genre. And we can pick a mood, whether it's this obscure Epcot-esque retro-futuristic theme park background music and and discover a vast array of artists who fit under that umbrella. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know entirely where I'm going, but maybe if I was to um, get to the chorus of this song, the... the let's say the simultaneous nichery and also wide appeal of Glenn Copeland's music could maybe only be discovered in a time when people just have access to so much and can, I don't know where I'm going here. I'm trying to apply. A no, I, I, I understand, I understand what you say, which is probably more artistic and organic, but I, I think it's a, incredible that we can discover artists like this and, and I can't help but be excited uh, about all the artists that I am still yet to discover. Yeah, I, like um, it made me think uh, how many people either are creating or have created music um, that exists right now, but we're just not going to hear it until like three decades time and then we'll be like, oh my God, that, that existed mm. when I was... I mean, in my case, 25 and mm. now like, you know, it's, it's this thing. Mm. Um, are there any, look, as we've said that there are six songs on 
the album and mm. they're all very much kind of a mood and a vibe and a feel. There's some um, feels, yes. And um, I think a couple of them are purely instrumental. Um, but other than Avenue, did you have any kind of favourites or was it just sort of... Because you can list very easily listen to the whole thing and it just be this 40 minutes of kind of... It's not like the songs roll from one into the other, but it's kind of... It, it can. can be this there, session of... There could of, be, a, you know, a mixed version. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but are there any specific songs when you're like, that is my jam? <sighs> I, I do love Letters Dance. I just kind Me of too. picture him having this kind of, um, not like paganistic, but this kind of like, <gasps> like a dance you, with, I was in the words say, with his wife. I was going to say, I was going to say pagan. It's yeah. almost this kind of like ritualistic, or maybe more like pastoral kind of yes. um, country dance kind of thing. Yes. It is pagan. He, he talks deeply about how his music is so... I just love the way he speaks about, like, the influence of his ancestors in his work. Like, he says that he yes. has Celtic grandparents. He has indigenous to, like... Um, I think it would be First Peoples of Canada, even though I... That's why I'm, I'm a bit confused about where he was. He was born in the US, but he, I feel like he talks about how his, some of his grandparents were Canadian First Peoples, um, some were West African, and he lets the influence of all of those ancestors like roll through his work, whether he's using um, like African drums um, or like... I guess, and I guess like pagan was the neatest way to describe that spirituality which goes through the work. This is a spiritual album performed on synthesized machines in 1986. Mm. It, is, it's, but it is deeply spiritual. Another thing I've realised it's similar to is, <clears throat> and I guess it kind of works because it's also now technically Disney. Have you seen Return of the Jedi? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Are you calling so... Beverly Glen Copeland an Ewok? Kinda. <laughs> At the end of Return of the Jedi, there's this amazing, like, little victory celebration with all of the characters in the Ewoks. Mm -hmm. And they play this kind of, like, very kind of Glenn Copeland-esque <laughs> kind I of, like, it. dance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, dark, kind of, like, a little sort of pipey kind of, like, dancing around. Yes. And it's just so wholesome and lovely. Yes. Um, and I, I imagine, I imagine that um, Glenn Copeland spent most of his life living in the kind of Ewok forest. Yes, yes, on Endor in Canada. Yes, very Endor. Yes, it's Endor. Now, I think me and you have <laughs> anything in this episode completely outed ourselves as panpipe fans. I, um, I stand a pan. I'm I a standpipe. I feel like I had a playlist about panpipes. No. Um, no, I had a playlist about saxophones. Now that no, yeah, that that's not. What was that? It was it was named something quite fun though. What was this? It was saxy. Sax yes, 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 yes. Yeah, knew it was knew it was good. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> I think there's a film about Beverly Glen Coburn coming out, and we know why. He doesn't seem to know, but we know why. But just tell me again if I've missed something out. But a transgendered man of color moves from the U.S. to Canada moves to the woods, only interacts with computers, spends 30 years making music for a children's TV show, pots out three albums, and is discovered by, like, a Japanese music nerd who buys 50 cassette tapes, which have been gathering dust in Glenn Copeland's hut, or whatever, cabin, um, sells them to fellow Japanese music stands, 
and then for the first time in 50 years has about 15 record label proposals in his email inbox that that is the reason why I wanted to do this episode um, aside from the quality of the music and I think it's remarkable that there are queer artists who have gone unnoticed for 50 years and are now out in the world what a time to be alive yeah do you Um, have any we're, we're, we're getting up to the point where we should probably start to wrap up do you have any other thoughts no, other than very, very different in genre and style, but Colour of Anyhow would probably be my favourite Beverly Glenn Copeland song. I agree. Despite how different it is. It's just a deeply beautiful song. And if you haven't already heard it on the Tales of the City soundtrack, um, please do yourself a favour and listen. So, Drew, I think going looping right back to how we started this episode with chatting through the work and effort you spend on oral fixation companion playlists... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this episode playlist should also, aside from a showcase of Glenn Copeland's finest work, be um, some of our favourite Epcot-esque, you know, futuristic. Yeah, send, songs send that me we your. Love. I mean, I, I, I know I've, I, I already can feel the playlist making itself in my mind, but send me over mm-hmm. some of yours. Mm-hmm. Will do. I can't and wait. I wanted, wanted to, to say. Yes, I wanted to say one final thing. I read an interview with um, Glenn Copeland in The Guardian earlier. um, And he said something that just jumped out of the the page at me. And I'm going to read it. It's just, it's a really short quote, but I'm going to read it here um, now. And maybe even more prevalent, not prevalent, um, resonates even more um, in the the times of uh, COVID. Um, But he said uh, in this uh, interview, you are wanted. The universe wants you because you are it. And I just found that really beautiful. That is really beautiful. Mm. Love that. Mm. Um, Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, look, I can't remember if this was on the, on when the mic was recording or not, but we might have an in-person oral fixation reunion as soon as next week. Yeah, we 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 very uh, social, appropriately socially distanced, but um, yeah, it could be happening sooner, sooner than we previously thought. So, um, big shout out to how quickly um, Australia has managed to get hold of whatever we're going through at the minute, and um, as of ever, sending all of our love and vibes and harmonies, feels, emotions to everyone back home in the UK. Absolutely. Um, and the US. And um, we're getting there. I'm feeling good vibes. I'm feeling good vibes. We are ever new. We are ever new. <laughs> the ever new avenue. Ever new avenue. Ever new um, All right. Well, I'm going to go and probably have a bath and listen to some pan pipes. You? Love that, doll. Um, I'm going to order takeaway and watch normal <gasps> people. I am so jealous. Oh, I did watch the first episode last night. I did enjoy it. Has of someone who hasn't read the book. Um, oh, have you not read it? Book, but I've actually not read the book, but I'm enjoying okay. the TV show thus far. Please okay. tell me, as someone who spent about five minutes earlier in this episode professing his love for country living, please tell me exactly what you're ordering in the takeaway without missing a beat. Okay, well, I'll have to I'll have to consult with her downstairs first. Oh, got it. Um, okay. But it'll want? be. What so- do you want? I want to go. I want to go burger and chips. Uh, oh. 
veggie burger and chips, but you know, yeah, mm. yeah, so, you know, you can't win them all. So you, <laughs> we are in Newtown after all. Um, um, anyway, all right. If well, you guys, oh, sorry, go on, Andy. Go on. No, you finish. <laughs> oh, I was going to do the wrap up. Yeah, go on. You do the wrap up. So okay. Here and we're in the back. <laughs> Um, if you enjoyed this episode, um, then please rate um, and subscribe and like our podcast on whatever platform that you use. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can. We're at Oral Fixation Podcast. If you'd like to follow me and my ISO journey, you can. I'm at Drew <laughs> underscore down underscore under. If you, more importantly, if you'd like to follow Andy and his country living bay vibe feels same lifestyle, um, you can. I've He's gone full at, Glenn I'm, Copeland. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone the full BGC um, you can he's at Andrew do you think you are um, you can email us on uh, uh, on oralfixationpodcast at gmail.com um, and just stay safe and just stay living and get back to nature and just listen to Beverly Glen Copeland and just chill out honestly the time is now the time is now for Beverly Glen Copeland yeah you'll yeah. stand you'll stand okay um, alright dolls see you soon Love you, doll. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Drew again. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. To wrap up, we wanted to share this story with you. So, just before this episode aired... Australian LGBT publication The Star Observer ran a feature on oral fixation written by journalist Mike Hitch. As part of the piece, we were asked about which albums we'd be discussing in upcoming episodes, and we mentioned that our next episode would be a discussion on Beverly Glenn Copeland. As it turns out, Glenn is actually managed by a couple of Aussies. They have a Google Alert set up to track mentions of Glenn in the media and saw the article about the podcast, so they got in touch. First of all, they thanked us for covering his music, which was very sweet. But they also let us know that Glenn has been hit particularly hard by cancellations during the pandemic. As we spoke about in the episode, Glenn's music has gone unheard for so many years, and he had a long overdue tour scheduled for 2020, which will sadly not be going ahead. If you'd like to show your support to Glenn via alternative means, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Beverly Glenn Copeland.